Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. I read a statistic this week that oh, sounds really nerdy, doesn't it? I read a statistic this week that, you know, like, what a way to start a sermon, Gene. I'll get them. But um, this one shocked me, and I, I want to see what you think. Here, here's this statistic. In 2020, money spent to treat depression was over $210 billion. 210. Americans spent $210 billion to treat a mental issue. 210 billion. That's a huge number. I mean, and sometimes we look at these numbers and they're so big, it's hard to put this in perspective. So let me put this in perspective to you. Think of it this way. NASA's budget last year, NASA, was $22 billion, which means that Americans spent 10 times, almost 10 times, NASA's budget to treat depression. Isn't that mind-boggling? Coronavirus isn't the only epidemic Mental issues in America statistically are jumping off the charts. $210 billion last year to combat one category. Yet after $210 billion, depression is more of a problem than it's ever been. APA, American Psych- Psychology Association, right now they're screaming danger. Our mental illness, our mental states after quarantine and e-learning and, and riots on the news and election garbage, APA is saying that 2020 has been a disaster for our society mentally. And I've felt it. Haven't you? How many of us have had a hard time sleeping recently after watching the news? Or after reading a news article, or after, you know, after fuming over a stupid social media post, how many of us have been living in our heads more this year, found ourselves more angry and scared and, and helpless? We all have. And that's a big deal, one that we got to talk about. And thankfully, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is like a mind reset. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not like we're going to be throwing away all your medication at the end of this chapter, but... If you allow it, this chapter will get your mind heading in a different direction, a better direction, clearer thinking, healthier thoughts, a breath of fresh air for your mind. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? First Corinthians chapter 2. Let's grab your Bible. First Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're at. Uh, one challenge I just want to give you this year is um, bring your Bible to church. And I know it's, it's nice because we have our Bibles on our phones. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great to have the Bible on our phones. It's really nice that we can have it there. Um, but also, I mean, if, if you struggle maybe to pay attention with your Bible on your phone because you're getting text messages and emails and all that, bring a paper Bible. That's what I've been trying to do uh, lately is just walking around with a paper Bible. I, I love my grandpa's Bible and my dad's Bible are paper Bibles, and it's like they're falling apart. There's highlighted uh, words and, and little notes written in their Bibles, and, and I just love that. So I kind of want to have the same thing for me. It's like the old saying, you know, a, a person whose Bible is falling apart, their, their life isn't. I think that's how the saying goes. Um, and so um, bring a paper Bible if the phone can be a struggle for you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, whether it's phone or paper, though, really encourage you to be in God's Word as, as we're on the same page together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. I, I thank you that we can gather together as your church. I thank you that you died to, to make us family. And uh, Father, I, I pray right now that you speak to us, uh, that your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us. And, and God, we... Uh, 
we, we need you to speak into a lot of what's going on in our minds right now. So may we have the humility to accept where we're really at. And may we look to you for guidance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as the lens of Scripture zooms in, we find a boat heading into harbor. Paul stands on the bow overlooking this new home, his new home for the next year. It's Corinth. The seagulls caw overhead as the ocean breeze slowly brings the, cl- the boat closer to dock. It's a peaceful day, a, a beautiful view of the Grecian hills. It's a new city, one that Paul welcomes. He just left Athens, and Athens took the mid out of him. He's discouraged at this point. It's, it's hard for him not to look back on Athens as a, as a waste of time. And well, this new city, Corinth, well, the same thing happened here. Should he change his methods Maybe church planting isn't his thing. Maybe ministry isn't his thing. Quitting lies in the back of his mind. And as the boat comes to dock, the crew jumps off onto the pier and and, and tosses ropes to each other to secure the vessel. Even with the discouragement, Paul feels like God brought him to Corinth for a reason. It's a new city. It's new opportunities. It's new people. And he'll be there 18 months. 18 months meeting those people and discipling those people and eating with them and confronting them and, and teaching them. And years later, Paul sits down to write those people a letter. And these are the words that he writes to those people. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, he says, when I was with you guys in Corinth, I, I wasn't the world's best speaker. In fact, some of your translations might say something like, I didn't come with waxed eloquence. In other words, there, there were much better speakers than me. And I love that because that gives guys like me some hope. I, I've told you this before, but I, I did preaching competitions growing up, which is a very weird concept. But I would always lose those pre- preaching competitions. I, I, got, I got buddies that I listened to you know, during the week where I'm like, dang it, they're so good. You know, some guys are just so natural and, and gifted and creative and very good speakers. And I got to work hard. And even still, I'm, just, I'm not at their level. Which is why I love what Paul says right here. He says, I didn't come blowing the place out, captivating messages that that blew your mind. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the message translation puts it this way. I kept it simple. And some of Paul's biggest critics in the church were guys who said that Paul's messages were way too simple. They're not eloquent enough. They're, They're not deep enough. And those people are still around today. They come through the bridge sometimes. Maybe you've met them. They say things like, oh, this is too simple. The preaching is too simple. I need something deeper. I need bigger words. And whenever they come to meet with me, I always want to say, and sometimes I do, you wouldn't have liked Jesus' preaching then or Paul's preaching. Also, who's stopping you from going deeper? Like, go deeper yourself if you're such an intellectual. Nobody's stopping you from going deeper yourself. Did you know that the, uh, the New Testament, when the New Testament was written, there were two different types of Greek Two different types. There was uh, classical Greek, and that's what the academics used. That's what the philosophers used. That's what intellectuals used. That's what the authors would, would write in classic Greek. Um, and then there was Koine Greek, the, the second type of Greek. And Koine Greek was more simple. This was like the, the street language. You know, every time God wrote the New Testament, you know what Greek he used? Koine Greek. Just plain and simple. 
And so Paul is arguing here, he's saying, hey, for the sake of reaching the community, for the sake of reaching um, the lost people in Corinth, the people that Jesus told us to reach, I'm keeping it simple. I'm throwing a wide net. Intellectuals can go deeper on their own because they're intellectuals and they can do that. And he continues, and I was with you in weakness, I was with you in fear, much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul's not really beaming with a whole lot of confidence here, is he? We've got to remember where he just came from. He just came from Athens. And like I said before, Athens took the mid out of him. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17, but right before coming to Corinth, Paul is in Athens, and he goes to this theater where the, where the philosophers and the teachers and the academics would gather, and they would listen to the latest and the brightest ideas going on at that time, and so Paul signs up to speak in front of everybody, and, and again, you can read this in Acts chapter 17, but Paul gets up in Acts chapter 17, and he just throws down. It's incredible. He gets up in front of everybody, and he says, hey, I see that you're all very spiritual, and as I've been walking around your town, Athens, I found a plaque with an inscription that read, To the unknown God. And then he says, And what you declare is unknown, I am here to tell it. It'll send chills up your spine. It's like this lights out sermon. It bombs. Nothing. People start leaving. People mock him. People are on their tablets doing other stuff. Only a few people listened. As a speaker, that's enough to rattle your cage and just drain your confidence. I mean, you just put yourself out there and... And that's where all of this is, is coming from right here. I love how the message puts it. Look, look at how the message puts it. Paul says, I was unsure of how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. And I totally get that. My, my biggest stressor every week is, uh, is this, inadequate. What am I going to say next week? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 next week. I don't know what I'm going to say. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about next week. And I got 30, what, 30 more years left of this? Maybe. I'm going to do this for 30 more years? There's no way I can do that. Like, that just makes me scared even thinking about that. I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week, much less for the next 30 years. Which is why Paul's next phrase is, is so meaningful to me. He says, but the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it. Paul says, it's not about me. It's about the message of Jesus Christ. It's what God is doing in, in your midst. See, Paul comes to Corinth feeling weak. Did you come in here feeling that? Did you walk in here feeling weak? What are you going to do about COVID? What are you going to do about your job? What are you going to do about your family? What about politics right now? Depressed, anxious, helpless, weak. How many of us walked in here that, like that today? Oh, yeah, sure, you got your church face on and your smile and your pleasantries. Hey, I'm doing fine. It's great. I'm blessed. But what's going on up here? There's some stressors, aren't there? You're feeling a little bit weak, and you're wondering how you're going to pull this off. Paul says here, you're in the prime position to see God come through. You're in the front row seat potentially to see something incredible because in your weakness is when God does his best work. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You ever, uh, you ever 
see a personality cult. You know what I'm talking about with that? Personality cults it can happen in churches sometimes. This is why we actually rotate speakers and, and worship leaders. It's where people get really stuck on someone, whether it's like a teacher, a leader, a, a politician, a personality. And in, in the context of church, what can happen is like their faith becomes tied to that person. And so if anything happens to that person, you know, they die or they fail. It like, it shakes the whole church. People actually walk away from God because of it. It's really sad. It happens in churches. Paul says, you all, hey, Corinth, you all weren't doing church because I was some amazing speaker. Because I wasn't. I wasn't on my A game. You were doing church because of Jesus, not my teaching. That's what he's getting at in verse 5. Now, I know what you might be thinking here. You might be thinking, okay, Junior, this paragraph, verses 1 through 5, this all makes sense. It's even a little interesting, I suppose. But what does any of this have to do with my mind? Because mentally, last year was really hard for me. It took its toll. I don't have a good attitude. I'm feeling like I'm in a funk. I don't really feel myself. I need to hit some reset buttons in my head. So verses 1 through 5, this is all fine. But what does any of this have to do with addressing my mind? Well, all of it. If you look at the, this paragraph, verses 1 through 5, just look at it from a bird's eye view we just read through. What's Paul's main point that he's making? Paul's main point that he's making is, is I wasn't doing so well, I was mentally discouraged, I was weak, but it all worked out because of the power of God. It all worked out because it was Jesus alone. Now that's a powerful thought. That's a thought we got to hold on to here. So let's sit in that thought for a second. I think it begs a question. And I should point out, usually we have points during the sermons, you know, and, and these points, we have points today, but they're actually in question format because the best way to challenge your mind is through questions. And so I'm going to throw you this first question that Paul's getting at in verses 1 through 5, and that is, is Jesus alone enough for you? Is Jesus alone enough for you? This is what he's getting at in verses 1 through 5. Now again, you might look at this and go, okay, that's a Great question, sure. What does that have to do with resetting our mind? Well, this question has been powerful for me this last year. You know, with everything going on with, with COVID and uh, global movements, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's curriculum changes happening in, in schools right now, some, some, some difficult things that are being introduced into the, the public school curriculum. Uh, we saw last week with the lame duck session in Illinois at 3.30 a.m. that effectively uh, hurt good police officers. Like, there's just a lot going on right now, more that, more that, meets, more that meets the eye. I mean, debt is piling up. And, and when I look at everything in the news, for me, I look at it and I, I think there's definitely something spiritual playing out here. More is at play than what meets the eye. And in my own weakness, playing possible scenarios over in my head, I fear of the world that I'm going to send my daughters into. I don't know if I'm the only one, but that is, a, that is a fear of mine. I do. What global economy awaits my children? How much will the world hate believers as we move forward? Will it be safe out there in a few years? Will there be persecution for believers? I had two pastors last week tell me, again, two different pastors tell me last week that they think I'll spend time in prison before I retire. I was like, hey, thanks for the encouragement, guys. I don't know about that, but call me crazy. Call me paranoid. I might agree with you, but in my own weakness, this is where I sometimes find myself mentally, like Paul, weak, doubting, in fear. And the question that always pulls me from those dark moments is this question right here. If all of that happens, is Jesus alone enough for you, Junior? Really, I know this question seems so elementary, 
but I want this to sink in for a second. You think about your own mental weaknesses. Those thoughts that get you discouraged. Those thoughts that get you anxious. Those thoughts that bring you down. Like let's, I, I know you don't want to go there, but let's all go to your mental weak moments. Paul took us to his mental weak moments. I took you to mine. Let's visit yours for a second. There you are. It's worst case scenario. It's what you've been worrying about. Your finances are drained. You don't know where your next dollar is going to come from. You're dependent on a food pantry. You're in line for food. Or you get sick and you're put on a ventilator. Or you're driving away from your office for the last time and you're not knowing what to do next. Everything is being taken away from you. In that moment, that nightmare of a moment that you've thought through, in that moment, is Jesus alone enough for you? Do you see the power of this question? There's something here. Paul is giving us something big. It's, it's so simple, yet it's so powerful. Because we have, you and I, we have these, these, these tendencies to create the worst possible scenarios in our mind. And then we leave God out of it, don't we? We all do that. Everything is going to hell in a handbag, and there you are, and God is nowhere to be found. You're all on your own. And then our minds spiral, don't they? Into fear, into confusion, into anger, into these godless places. Meanwhile, your dad... Your heavenly father is saying, my child, even if it gets that bad, I'm coming with you. I think of it like my, my youngest, uh, Reese. This is Reese. She's three years old. She's a carbon copy of her mama. And the other day we were, we were driving and she was, uh, it was just me and her, she was in the back seat and I was talking to her about a, a trip that we want to go on as a family. Uh, my mom works for United, and so we get great deals on, on flights, especially right now. And, and so there's these friends that we want to go and we want to stay with for a little bit. And so I'm driving, and I, and I tell Reese as I'm driving, I said, hey, hey, baby, soon we're gonna, you're going to go on an airplane, and you're going to go visit your friends. And she didn't answer. It got really quiet. So I'm like looking through the rearview mirror, and I can, I can see her like looking out the window, and her face just, she gets this really worried look on her face, like almost like she's about to cry. It's like, Reese, what, what, what's wrong? Aren't you excited? You're going to go on an airplane to go see your friends. And she started crying. She goes, I don't want to go on an airplane. I don't know where to go. I get lost. She thought I was going to send her off alone. Like the three-year-old was worried about finding her connecting flights and renting a car. How many of us do that? We create these worst-case scenarios in our head, and, 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 and Dad's not there. And we're all alone. And God's going, maybe it'll get that bad, but I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to send you out into the future alone. I'm coming with you. And that truth changes what goes on up here, doesn't it? See, Paul writes, things worked out in Corinth because Jesus only was enough. Jesus only was enough for you guys. And may one day you and I look back on our lives and say, things worked out for our families for us, oh, things got shaky, things got difficult, it got a little rough there, but it all worked out because Jesus only was enough for us too. Man, we could probably stop there, right? That's like a big mental reset for so many of our minds, but there is so much more that we got to hit here. Let's hit the next paragraph. Verse 6. Verse 6, Paul says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. 
although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, is we keep the message of Jesus Christ very simple in Koine Greek. We keep it in very plain words, but we're not dumbing it down. We impart wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of this world that is doomed to pass away. See, this world teaches some things, doesn't it? And we know this. We see what this world teaches. Some of us even get sucked into what this world teaches and promotes. This world has its own wisdom. And usually the world's wisdom is packed very beautifully. It's very trendy. It makes great hashtags. Celebrities tote it. But as, as beautiful as the world's wisdom may look, it is doomed for failure because it's not from God. One example of a world's teaching or a world's wisdom today would be, um, this is a big teaching today, self-love. You hear of this? This is very, very popular today. you got to love yourself. you got to believe in yourself. you got to trust yourself. you got to treat yourself. you got to love yourself. And it sounds really nice, doesn't it? Like, who would argue with that? Of course, you got to love yourself. Did you know that the systems and environments that self-love is taught in now have a higher trending level of depression in them? It sounds like a really nice teaching, but it's doomed to pass away. It's doomed for failure. Scripture teaches a different wisdom. Jesus taught us that we deny ourselves. Philippians tells us to, to not look to our own interest, but to the interest of others. Second Corinthians tells us don't trust yourself. It's two very different wisdoms. One is of this age. Sounds really nice. It's packed beautifully. The other is ageless, and it comes from Scripture. And Paul says we impart, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God declared before the ages of our glory. Now, let me just quickly point something out in this verse. The word for wisdom here is the Greek word Sophia. Which, and Sophia does not mean like you have all of the facts. Sophia means skill for living. So when you run across wisdom in Scripture, it's not like this goal for Scripture to, it's not Scripture's goal to give you like this big egghead, you know, filled with all the facts and all the data. I know it all. That's not wisdom. No, the goal, Scripture gives wisdom for you to give you a skill for living. Scripture says you should be good at just living because how we live should attract people to God, to our dad who tells us how to live. Our beliefs applied in life are very attractive, which is why Paul says this next. None of the rulers of this world understood this. So what we live by, what we commit to, our submission, our values, how we spend our time, our skill for living, it's not going to be understood by those around us. It's not going to be understood by those outside of Jesus Christ. They're following the world's wisdom that is doomed for failure. It looks nice, but it's doomed for failure. That leads to debt, addictions, STDs, high divorce rates. But you and I, we have a, a different skill for living. And it makes no sense to those who aren't in tune with Jesus. But we do this, we live differently because it works. These things God has revealed to us. So, so this wisdom that we live by, has revealed, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now you've got to remember these words that we're reading right now uh, are written by the Spirit through Paul. So when the church of Corinth met, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have the, the full New Testament. So our skill for living, Paul says, it, it, it's revealed through the Spirit. The Spirit wrote this, and so now we have God's Word. This is most often how the Spirit speaks to us through what he has already written. Pop down to verse 12, though. Verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, we don't rely on the teachings of this world, the hashtags, the movements, the agendas, the philosophies. You and I, we rely on something different. We rely on the Holy Spirit and the words that he's written to us through his word. Now let's just back out of this for a second. Do you see the tension in verses 6 through 13? Do you see that tension? Two things are competing in verses 6 through 13. You see that tension? You have the world's wisdom and you have God's wisdom. You have the world's wisdom that is constantly pulling away from God's wisdom. The world's wisdom that is undermining God's wisdom. Have you felt this as you've lived? You see, there is this battle. There always has been. There's a battle for your mind. Because once your mind is captured, your spirit comes with. That's why Proverbs says, guard your mind, for it gives life to your spirit. And this is so important. As you go throughout life, everywhere you go, the world is constantly trying to sell you its wisdom and slowly undermine God's wisdom and sell you something different. Think about it this way. Uh, when I lead uh, trips to Israel, we always finish uh, our, our trip last few days we spend in, in Jerusalem. And if you ever get the chance to go to Jerusalem, you should go. Uh, one day, if you follow Jesus one day, he'll take you to the new Jerusalem, and that'll be awesome too. But Jerusalem today is, is fun to go to. And, and the city is packed, the old city is packed with what they call bazaars. So like blocks and blocks of shops lining the streets and shopkeepers standing out in front of their shops, you know, shouting their deals and putting their, putting their merchandise in your face. And I'll have to lead 40 people through the old city, through all of this. And it's near impossible. We'll walk like three blocks, and I'll look back, and 15 people are just gone. Some shopkeeper, you know, is able to convince them into their shop, and, and then I go to them, and like, hey, it's just, it's just a quick purchase, it's just a quick purchase. Come back to the rest of the group, and 10 more people are missing, because some other shopkeeper got to them, you know, oh, he said 50% off, we had to see it, we had to check it out. I, I mean, this is a lot of fun to go through here. I cringe every time, because I know we're going to lose some people. And so before we get to here, I would stop and I'll, I'll tell the group, hey, uh, I'll take you to something much better. These shops, a lot of knockoff, cheap knockoffs in these shops. I'm going to take you to something more authentic. I'll take you to something better. Just keep following me. Don't stop for these shops. Again, I'll take you somewhere better. This is the gauntlet. Like, I know, I'm going to lose some people. This is the picture that Paul is painting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Life is like a Jerusalem bizarre. Your week is like this right here. And as you go throughout life, you're constantly being sold different teachings and different worldviews. They're everywhere you look. They're on TV. They're on the news. They're in movies. They're on the radio. They're on social media. They're in schools. I've been surprised recently just how blatantly obvious worldviews are being sold to us right now. You are being sold a certain wisdom everywhere you go. And a lot of it looks like something you really want. Oh, this looks like justice. This looks like tolerance. This looks like love. This looks really nice. But the Spirit is leading you somewhere else, to something more authentic, to something far better, to true justice, to true love. But as soon as you stop to shop and you grab a cheap knockoff, you find yourself more further from your guide, the Spirit. And after a while, 
you're away from the rest of the group, and you're lost, and you're confused, and you're frustrated. And this is going on more than ever right now. I'm not overstating this, and I'm not trying to instill fear, but out there is no joke. Our streets and our screens and our universities are lined with cheap knockoffs, and they sell great, they're trendy, they look nice, but as Paul writes here in chapter 2, they're, they're doomed for failure. We're called to something more authentic, we're called to something more real, and the Spirit is our guide. And some of our minds aren't doing well right now. Some of us have the wrong attitudes, some of us are angry. Some of us are frustrated, some of us are confused, some of us are depressed, some of our minds aren't doing well because we've stopped to shop. And we bought into something. There's that political shop that's been coaxing you away from your guide. Maybe it's a shop with a big banner that says love or justice, and it's in your ear, and it's making you doubt your guide's words that he's bringing you to something more authentic, to something better. And so as you stopped, you're distancing yourself from the Spirit, and you're frustrated, and you're feeling pressure, and you're agitated, and you're not quite sure what to think. Far too many of us find ourselves right there, don't we? We crave clarity. And here's the question that can give clarity. To reset our thinking, are you starting with God, or are you starting with trends? You think about it, with all those hot topic, like hot button, hot topic button type issues out there today, and there's a lot, isn't there? You know, there's like abortion and racism and homosexuality and transgender and politics. There's just a lot of hot button issues right now. And all of us have opinions on all of those issues. Where did you formulate your opinion from? Is it, okay, what does God think about this? Or do your opinions often get influenced by, well, everybody's saying this, and this is more popular, and I feel this, and my friends are saying this, and so I'm going to formulate my opinion from that. Many of us are going to different stores in the bazaar, in in the shops, and we're formulating our opinions based on talk shows and social media and and secular schooling and and talking heads on, on, on the news. And we're buying what they're selling to us, and we find ourselves externally confident. I'll go on social media and I'll blast away, but internally just so confused and frustrated. Meanwhile, you have the Spirit saying to you, hey, I'm over here, I'm over here, get closer to me. I'll give you clarity. I'll bring you to something more authentic. Stop buying the knockoffs. Just stay with me. I'm bringing you. I'm bringing you. How many of our opinions are more influenced by trends and feelings and worldly wisdom that is doomed for failure? Those opinions need a reset. You start with God. That's where you start. His word. Clarity comes from His word. See, the beautiful thing about this book is This book is our filter. Everything we hear, everything we see, we filter through the Spirit. We filter through His Word. We filter through what God has told us. One of my favorite um, classes in college um, was, I can't remember the name of the class, but we took this class that the professor would have us watch secular shows and movies. In fact, we watched an episode of South Park. 
and shit, and then we, I'm not telling you to watch South Park, it's not a wholesome show. My professor made us watch it though. And then we watched it and then we filtered it through the Bible. So we finished watching South Park and we go, okay, what was the message of that episode? And what would God's word agree with in that message? And what would, God, what would God's word disagree with in that message? We did that with movies. We did that with political speeches. We did that with commercials. We filtered them all through the Bible. This is a fantastic exercise for me. I still remember my professor at the end of the semester getting up and saying that we are sold messages constantly. This is onslaught of messages everywhere we go. And the Bible is our filter. The Spirit is our guide. This is how we keep our heads on straight in this world. What happens quite a bit, though, and this is very common today, is we'll find something we like. We're walking through the bazaars, and we're sold a definition of sex. We're sold a definition of love. And we like it. It sounds so good. We like that. But we know this doesn't fit through this. And so we force that definition, and we jam it through the filter, and we find books of people who misuse Scripture to say what we want to hear, and we'll go to churches, find churches that misuse Scripture, that tell us what we want to believe, and we jam all of that through the filter. Problem is, once you rip a filter, everything gets through it. What's the point of a coffee filter with a hole in it? All the grounds will just get right through. This is why somebody who forces one thing into Scripture will force many things into Scripture. As soon as you force one thing, you create a hole, and then everything gets through it. And a lot of those nice teachings out there in the world today, the the cheap knockoffs that sound really nice and really good, those are often Trojan horses that bring a slew of misinformation and confusion and anger and eventually death because it created a hole in your filter, and now everything just gets through. A filter is everything. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The world's wisdom, the nice teachings out there, it's not holistic it will never address the spiritual part of you. That is why it's doomed for failure. It's missing the spiritual part. But we are spiritual beings in need of spiritual wisdom. And it's that wisdom, it's wisdom from God that addresses us holistically, giving us the correct skills for life. And the end result is the last sentence in chapter two. We have the mind of Christ. As the Spirit is leading you throughout the bazaars of life, the Spirit is leading you to something authentic, the mind of Christ. You're being sold everything along the way. The goal for your life is not to see life through a certain political lens. And the end goal for you in your life is not to see the world through nice eyes or or fair eyes. The end goal is for you to see all of life through the eyes of Christ. But you will not get this if you buy the cheap knockoffs that you are constantly sold. Those teachings and worldviews will only confuse you and frustrate you and leave you empty and far from this. And that is why we start with God and we filter everything through his word. Because this is bringing us to this. Which leads us to the question, so what? For real, I want to ask you, where are you at with all this? 
You know, when I say like a mental reset, does that sound like something you could use right now? You doing okay? For real. Walking throughout the bazaars of life, are you buying into something you shouldn't? Are you feeling distant from the Spirit? Are you feeling confused? Have you felt some pressure lately? Some fear? Some anger? The fact is, none of us have the mind of Christ yet. None of us do. We, we all got work to do. And I know you don't want to hear this, but you have some misguided opinions. I have some misguided opinions. We all have misguided opinions. Some of us have more misguided opinions than others, but we all have some misguided opinions. We all have some opinions that God thinks very differently about. And the Spirit, our guide, calls us to Himself to drop off all the knockoffs and trust that, hey, God's ways are better than my ways. God's thoughts are better than my thoughts. They're higher than my thoughts. And His opinions are better than my opinions. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.